0: Come on, let's give him a shout of praise tonight. If I can get this as loud as possible. Thank you so much. Come on. Let's give him. who came to worship tonight. Who came for the fire of God? I don't know about you, but tonight I didn't come to play religion. I didn't come to play games. I didn't come to play church. I came because I believe that there is a remnant, if I can get the monitors on, that is rising up in Atlanta, Georgia that says we don't want church. We don't want business as usual. See, there is something that happens during our worship. There is something that happens during our praise. There is something that happens during our shout. Some of you are all shouting and dancing for the last hour, and now you're sitting back going, I'm tired if I could get these monitors on. I'm tired, Mr. Preacher. But, friend, you have to understand that God is not on the same schedule and on the same agenda as us because some of you, the way that you were at the club, help me out on these monitors, please. The way that you were at the party, the way that you were at the bar, the way that you were at the club, you used to dance for hours. You used to worship for hours. You used to come on, help me as much as we can go. You used to sing for hours when it was for darkness. Now that we are in the kingdom of light, now that we are in the house of God, where is our shout? Where is our song? Where is our dance? Where is our worship? I'm looking for some of those that will go to war and say, God, I need to get desperate. It's been years since I've been desperate. I'll switch mics if I need to. It's been years since I've been radical. It's been years since I've shouted. It's been years since I praise. It's been years since there's been something radical. We are living in a church age where it is more normal to be complacent than it is to be radical. It is more normal to be apathetic than it is to be passionate. See, but the fire of God, it raises up a passion in you. It raises up a hunger in you. It raises up a desperation. Come on, help me tonight on this mic. It raises up a desperation in you where you say, I'm not leaving this place the same. I'm not leaving this place the same way I walked in. I came desperate. I came hungry. I came, there's people at stake. Depending on your worship, depending on your praise, depending on your shout, depending on your song. It's not about you. It's about it. Come on. Am I at the right place? Y'all got tired during that worship. Come on. Am I at the right place? There's somebody depending on me getting off my lazy tail and saying, God, I want to be a part of the remnant. I want to be a part of those that would worship and speak Spirit and in truth uh, that would worship uh, like I've lost my mind. Some of you came in too cute for breakthrough. Some of you grown men came in here shouting at the football game. And then you come to the house of God, and you're praising like you're afraid to break your nail. Some of you grown men, are pra- you're afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what will happen if I lift my hands. I'm afraid to see what will happen if I shout. I'm afraid to see what will happen if I dance. You know what might happen? You might allow the presence of God to begin to work in your life. You might just see miracles. When are you going to get tired? I'm not taking long tonight. When are you going to get tired of not seeing miracles? When are you going to get tired of not seeing deliverances? When are you going to get tired of living your life in the status quo of the watered down, Baskin Robbins, McDonald's, Tickle Me Elmo, Hometown Buffet, Burger King Church that serves it up your way. I don't want it my way. I want it your way. I I want the presence and the anointing and the fire, and I'm gonna shout tonight and I'm gonna praise tonight like I've lost my mind. I'm bored of religion, I'm bored of status quo, I'm bored of normal. I know what it is. You forgot where you came from, you forgot it was like to be drug addicted. And you're going up there, oh, Eddie James, it's so cute. Look at all your young people worshiping. Do you know what the Bible says? It says those that have been forgiven of much love much. And you're, the size of your worship and the size of your praise and the size of your passion and your commitment for God, all it's doing is indicating that you have not been forgiven and that you are not desperate. See, I could remember a couple years ago, I was an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with God. I remember, I'm going to preach over here. Y'all need to help me in the Eddie James team. I remember being depressed. I remember having anxiety. I remember waking up in my vomit. I remember not wanting to live. And if it had not been for the mercy of God, if it had not been for the grace of God, somebody ought to shout like it was grace that saved their life. Somebody ought to praise like it was mercy. that deliver them. Don't get all religious tonight. Save that for another session. Tonight, get desperate. It's the desperation that moves the heart of God. It's desperation that causes God to say, I'm going to respond with power. I'm going to respond with a fresh anointing. I'm going to respond with a touch. See, our apathy doesn't doesn't move him. If we can get these on, that'd be awesome. You go to church, where's the presence of God? Where's the fire of God? Why is God not moving? Why is there not healing? The mass majority of our churches in America, we are living in an epidemic. Do you know what it's called? It's called God has left the American church, and we are still acting like he's here. We are still worshiping like he's here. We are still praising like he's here. Check, check, check. Come on, let's praise him. Check, there we go. We're still pray- We're still shouting like he's here. We're still dancing like he's here. We're still pretending. And so we need, and listen, I love the lights. I love the smoke. I love all the dancing. I love all the shouting. But the fog machine will never substitute for the Shekinah glory of God. Our nice buildings will never be a substitute for the presence of God. We need the presence of God back in the American church, we need the fire of God. See, it's when the pro. I wish someone would help me. It's his presence that opens up the blind eyes, it's his presence that opens up the deaf ears. It's his presence. See, the devil is not even any longer uncomfortable in the church. I was up last night so don't say oh, I'm tired I have been I was up last night 10:30 p.m. in San Francisco, California if you don't know. That's an hour and a half from where I live and I was sitting under a stage from a church I just preached at with a 10-year-old boy whose mother is a drug addict in Georgia. This is in San Francisco and he doesn't even know who his father is. And I was sitting there and I was casting devils out of this young kid and he was growling and naming all these Hebrew demon names and I looked at that young man. I said, "Listen devil, it's 10.30 p.m. I got to drive home by, be home by midnight because I got to leave at 3 a.m. to go to Sacramento, three hours from San Francisco, and get on a plane to come here. And if you think that at 10.30 p.m. last night I was casting demons out of a 10-year-old under a stage so that I could fly all the way here to be a bunch of around a bunch of religious crusty people, then you have sadly been mistaken. I came because I got a call saying the remnants about to gather and we're about to see a move of God and an unprecedented outpouring. And I wish you were more excited about your city than I am. A move of God in Atlanta, Georgia that's going to break the spirit of apathy. Some of you need to get that Bible belt and let God spank you with it. Some of you need to get that apathy and just break it off tonight and say, devil, you should have killed me when you had the chance because now now, I'm on fire, and I'm desperate, and I'm radical, and I'm telling you right now, I'm ready to give the devil a fever, I'm ready to make my worship, give him diarrhea, I'm tired of the devil being comfortable in the church. I travel, pastors say, oh, Isaiah, every time you come, it's like they have to have a special service. They have to cover the carpets with plastic. They got to get all. I'm like, why does every time I go preach to these churches, there's buckets everywhere? They're like, because we know when you come, demons are going to start manifesting. We know people are going to start biting each other and throwing up. See, we don't have this happen ever, but when you come, you know, we have special. That's the problem with revival, it's, it's become special. We have re- special revival meetings once a year, and then I'm wondering, well, if revival's so good, why is it that we only have it once a year, and then the rest of our Sundays are boring and lame? I uh, honestly can convinced that if Jesus was in the American church and sitting in our services, we'd have to explain to him what we're doing. Eddie, Jesus would say, "What, what part is this? This is where we sing about you, but we don't know you. We're going to do three fast ones about you, but we don't know you. We're going to do slow songs about you, but we don't know you. And then he goes, what part is? It? Oh, this is where we get a bucket. And, you know, we tip God about 2.5%, 5% on average. This is where we're going to give you less money than the waiter at Applebee's after the service. Uh, and we're going to toss it around and we're all going to stare at each other. And we're going to have the same mentality America has. Uh, somebody else will help those orphans. Uh, somebody else will pray for my kids. Uh, somebody else will minister for me. Uh, somebody else will give if I don't give. Uh, when are you going? to get your own fire and stop depending on everybody else to pray for you. Everybody else to be radical for you. It's time to get the snake off your lap and stop petting your sin and say I need my own flame tonight. I need my own fire tonight. I need my own passion tonight. I'm tired of worrying about what everybody else thinks. I'm tired of worrying about what does he think of My worship. What does she think of my worship? When are you gonna worry about God? When are you gonna say, What does God think about my apathy? What does God think about my complacency? What does God think about my lack of zeal? We take offering, and then 40. You know, make sure we gotta stay on time here because don't and don't even look at me like it's 9:06. You didn't even start pre-gaming until 9:06. Someone over here help me shout for that. Like, what's well, pregame? And I'm too old. That's where you drink before you go to the party to drink. You didn't even start your makeup until 10 p.m. You were up at four o'clock in the morning, fizzing, dancing, raving, going crazy for the devil. And now that you're at church, you're all sophisticated and you're all watered down, and you have allowed religion to neuter you. You have allowed religion to remove your reproductive ability to make disciples. I'm listening I'm more radical now than I was when I was traveling and a metal band doing drugs and having sex i'm more passionate now than i ever was at the party than i ever was at the bar than i ever was at the club because god has redeemed this is what i didn't understand i came to church and went what are we praising about the god the the god invisible the god that heals and I, i would look around going why is nobody excited about that Why is it all week long you've spent four hours a day on Netflix and no time in your prayer closet? Why is it if I were to look at your phone right now, would you spend 95% of your time on, and I were to go through the history of what you watch and what you like, and all the ridiculous, stupid things we bow down before, and then we look at our prayer lives, we look at our worship life, we look at the time we spend. I'm not preaching about religion. I'm preaching chronological time spent in the presence of God on a weekly basis. We are not a people that pray outside the church. We are not a people that heal the sick outside outside the church, you think you're radical because you made the altar team. You know what makes you radical is when your house becomes an altar, and you say, I'm not just going to sacrifice for an hour and a half on petty Sunday morning, and you showed up 20 minutes late anyways, came in with your latte, but no Bible, know all the stats on LeBron James and Stephen Curry, but know nothing about Habakkuk or Jeremiah. Know every name of every designer person, every designer this, and every football. I, I sit with guys in my ministry, and I'm going, you name every linebacker, you name every, I don't even know the names of them because I'm not good at knowing about sports. And you know every stat of every basketball player. I'm going, what's your favorite verse? And you don't even know. Well, maybe John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. And you don't even know that whole verse because you preach that verse going, you can live like the devil and God still loves you, but you got to keep reading. It says men rejected God. And the, the, those are that reject God are already judged by themselves. No, he didn't come to judge the world and to condemn the world. But there is a conviction that needs to come back to the church where we are not okay fornicating and then sitting through service and not feeling uncomfortable. We are not okay watching movies and laughing at the very things that brought Jesus to the cross and thinking it's not that big of a deal. I'm sorry, it might not be a big deal now, but on judgment day when God, puts up the list and says these are all the sins see because grace does not cover rehearsed sin go ahead and tweet that at Isaiah Saldivar grace does not cover premeditated sin grace does not cover intentional sin an eraser on a pencil is not there so you could purposely make a mistake and then erase it after an eraser is there if you accidentally make a mistake you could er erase Erase it after. Grace is the eraser in our life. But when we keep falling over the same things, and then we have the nerve to blame the devil. (laughs) Devil made me do it. Really? He made you hit your home button at 2 in the morning, type in your nine digit password so your wife doesn't see what you look at type in a website and sit there for 45 minutes addicted to pornography. I'm talking about a massive epidemic in the American church. I did a four day youth camp this week in San Francisco. I just got back and I'm talking 90 plus percent, 10 years old, 8 years old, 9 years old, 13 years old are saying I am addicted and it goes beyond the youth. There are ministers all over that I talk to, that I look to, one that I talked to this week that say I am addicted to pornography and nobody's doing anything about it. I had one minister tell me this week. He's a minister, goes out travels. He says I think I need to live I can't get off a of porn and he goes but my pastor told me that the devil can't demonize and I'm thinking we have such a bad theology we have a theology that says Christians cannot be demonized Christians cannot be attacked that Christians are just exempt and so when we struggle and have issues we have nowhere to go see but Jesus said I don't just want you because he never called us to crucify the devil he said do you know your issue tonight your issue is not your pastor some I mean, of you need to just think that for a second second. Your issue is not your denomination. Your issue is not, oh, if I just go to Isaiah of our church, I'll be on fire. Your issue is the man in the mirror. Jesus said, you are the problem. Your flesh doesn't want to stand. It doesn't want to shout. It doesn't want to sing. And some of you need to stop telling God to shut up and start telling your flesh to shut up and say, wait a minute, flesh. You can't stop my worship. You can't stop my song. You can't stop my song stop my dance you can't stop my praise see because when I worship I start getting delivered from me (laughs) or you could just live the rest of your life blaming everybody else the fact that you don't pray the fact that you don't read your Bible Jesus says what do we do next oh next we're gonna preach a message and you know what we're not gonna talk about hell We're not going to talk about repentance, we're not going to talk about marriage, we're not going to talk about the narrow road, we're not going to talk about the fact that when Jesus came to the church, he said, you've turned my house into a den of thieves, remember the thief was representative of a demon or the devil, in other words, he said, you've allowed demons into my temple, and the temple was not just the church, the temple was a believer, he said, you have opened access and opened doors through your compromise, through your Netflix, through your Hulu, through your YouTube, through your Instagram and your Facebook, and every other social network that we spend our lives bowing down before. He said, and you have given the devil access into my house. Friend, it is time for us to make a whip and to eradicate and to cast out every demonic power that we have allowed to seep into the church, every demonic mindset that we have allowed to seep in the church. After we preach our 20-minute messages, we're going to give a five-in-altar call. I'm, uh, you invited me to come preach So don't look at me like I'm offending you Here's what's amazing to me bishop We get offended in the house of God When the truth is preached Yet you go to the movies Watch rated R movies Sit next to your 13 year old watch And you watch people make out on the screen and, fornicate, and you're not one bit offended by darkness Yet you come to the house of God Hear the word of the Lord And you've gone so long without having ears to hear And opening up your eyes and ears to hear What the spirit Not what a famous preacher is saying Trust me if I had my message tonight It would be about building your best life now. But when I get up here and the Holy Spirit says, I'm getting ready to shake. I'm getting ready to wake. I'm getting ready to break. It's time to shatter the cage. It's time to shatter the mold and say, God, I need you to do something in my life. I recognize I've gone years without your presence. I've gone years without your anointing. You paid $14 to watch that movie. What'd you give tonight? What'd you give? You know what you're... Besides the church giving, praise God, I, I was looking at Eddie and my, you know, I said, man, when they got up there and said, we're going to seed, we're going to give them this building for free. I'm thinking that never happens in America because we are so afraid of connecting with each other. We are so afraid of coming together. We have such a jealous religious church that is afraid. I don't want them to steal my sheep. I'm like, the only reason you're worried about your sheep leaving is because you preach a watered down compromise message. And you're afraid of them hearing the true gospel and realizing that the pastor's been lying to them the entire time. I ref- I'm more afraid of God tonight than you I refuse to stand on judgment day See, we're going to get there on judgment day And God, and you're going to go, all right God I'm ready to hear well done And God's going to say, what'd you do? You're not going to hear well done You're going to end up well done And it's not going to be in heaven What? Well done, good and faithful You didn't do anything So I, I want to say well done But you haven't done anything but go to church on Sunday And if you didn't know, the devil goes to church on Sunday And not only have you not done anything, I want to say good and faithful servant, but you barely even showed up. You weren't faithful to worship. I'm talking about a day in the Bible where it was a crime to come to church and not be prepared to give and not be prepared to worship. Do you know all the laws they had to go through just to come to church? And we have to have Eddie James has to get us ready because we're not ready because we come in the house of God with all type of pollution and corruption and the spirit of the age. But what would happen if a church raised up that says, I came in ready to shout. I came in ready to worship worship. You can't offend me if you tried. I'm already dead. It's impossible to offend a dead man. If you're offended, you're not dead. I'm offended. I'm like, you got tattoos up and down your arm and I'm offending you. I was at a service one time, Eddie, and a guy came up to me, and I know this guy from the past, tattoos up and down, and oh, I like your preaching. I'm thinking, why do you have a girl voice now? You had a man's voice when you weren't saved. Now you're all girly. He's like, I just loved your preaching, but you know, I was just a little bit offended. I'm thinking, you had bar stools thrown over your head. You were getting in fights at the club, fights at the bar, fights at the rock concert. You were never offended by that. And now you're going to come to the, is this church, have we really got to a place where the word of God offends us so much to the point where we don't even respond to conviction? Do you know what the scariest place you could be tonight in this room is to be in a place where you're not even convicted when you hear the uncompromised word of God, that you're not even moved by the gospel. Some of you have gotten so casual, and you have gotten so numb to the conviction. That's what they do at the dentist or the doctor. They give you some Novocaine, and they give you some numbing medication. Here's why. So that when they cut in, you won't feel the cut. And what religion has done is it has numbed the body of Christ so that when the preacher who's supposed to be not the entertainer but the surgeon of the Holy Ghost when the preacher gets there to do surgery on you you're so numb you don't even feel the cutting. I pray you feel the cutting. I pray you feel the conviction. I pray that you actually believe that Jesus is not okay with the state of the church. We need a revival in the American church church we need a revival of holiness oh somebody right there that's over 70 help me preach we need a revival of the fear of the Lord we need a revival this is real sweat seven times I'm doing this this week you think I'm up here playing church them here going, oh, God. No, I'll tell you why. Because nine, eight years ago, an audible voice spoke out of the cloud and said, my people will not preach the word, and my people will not obey me. And an audible voice spoke to an atheist and said, because my people won't preach, I'm going to raise you up to preach. And I've sat with pastors. I was talking to Nino about one a couple weeks ago who have been in ministry for 35 years. I had one pastor at the gas station crying tears in his eyes. said, for 35 years, I've prayed to be able to do what you're doing. And I don't Understand why God won't anoint me the way He's anointed you, and with all due respect, Pastor, I'm telling you, it's God overlooking the church. He's going to the drug addict, He's going to the atheist, He's going to the gangbanger. We are in the hour where He's going to take the foolish things. I don't want recycled sheep. I want the wild ones. I want the radical ones. I want the passionate ones. You know why, Bishop? Here's why: when you get them, you don't have to try to. De- you don't have to try to unbrainwash them. I get religious people come in and you know, Eddie, they've been to five other churches. I'm thinking this is just gonna be the six. You're only gonna last a month before you decide I'm the problem and go find somewhere else to plant yourself. If you keep uprooting a plant over and over, at some point it's not gonna produce fruit. Uh, yet some of you think you could go from church to church to church uh, and revival and revival and not plant yourself somewhere. And they're sitting they go from place to place to place uh, and I'm going, I bet you the church is not the issue. Uh, I bet that you are the issue. Uh, I bet you're the reason why you haven't been able to stay in a church. Uh, for more than six months, what would you happen if you said, you know what, tonight, I know some of you don't like the shouting and the screaming and the talking loud, but it is not about our preference, it is about restoring the presence of God back in the American church. See, we, we, the Bible says there's a day where Jesus is going to be outside the church knocking. And we're watered down, American preachers that are lazy, don't want to pray, don't want to read, don't want to get a fresh word. I'm a pastor, so I can say all these things. Okay, It's like when you're Hispanic, you can make Hispanic jokes. I'm Hispanic and I'm a pastor, so if I make those jokes, don't get all mad. We're sitting there and... We're telling people, Well, all you gotta do, brother, 20-minute message, come to the altar, pray a prayer. And then here's the verse we use unbiblical demonic. I'm not and if you use this, I apologize. Go read your Bible, get better theology. We go out and we say, While well, Jesus is knocking outside the door of your heart, friend, go read that verse. It was seven churches, six of them were backslidden. Only one of them, God actually had anything nice and positive, fully to say. And off the seventh one, he goes, Let me just stop talking and rebuking these churches and let me just give you a picture of an hour that we're going to live in. He goes, Behold, I stand outside the the door and knock. It has nothing to do with your heart. It has nothing to do with Jesus building a three-story Guatemalan treehouse in your heart. He goes, I'm outside the door of the American church, and you guys are too occupied with your sermons. You're too occupied with your cappuccino churches. You're too occupied with your air condition over your prayer condition. You're too worried about making people comfortable and not making me too comfortable. You're too worried about offending people. Well, what if they don't come back? What if they don't come back? What if people got so mad? in our services, they actually went home and seeked God and said, God, have I been living a lie? Is what this preacher saying is true? He said, but here's the turn. Here's the hope for America. If any man would hear my voice and open up the door, then I would come in and dwell with him and dine with him because I'm coming back for a bride, not brides. You think Jesus is a polygamist and is coming back to marry a bunch of brides? He never once condoned polygamy. What makes us think we could break off and have all these different denominations and all these churches, and we think Jesus is going to float down, sit in our church, and be like, well, I'm proud of you that you give an hour out of 168. You give me one hour out of 168, and you're going to convince yourself tonight you're a believer. If we, Don't raise your hand on this, but if we were to ask ourselves tonight, and this is biblical because Paul said to test yourself, uh, to see if Christ is really among you. Uh, here's the definition, according to Webster, of a test. It's asking yourself a series of questions to see whether you truly know the subject matter. Paul said, I want you to ask yourself, if you were to ask yourself in the last seven months, and I'm being very nice because Jesus was not as nice as I'm being tonight, have I prayed for any sick people outside the church? Have I drove out? I'm not talking about driving in demons. I'm talking about have I drove out one demon out of anyone outside the church? Have I made one disciple this year? Have I preached to anyone outside the church? Have I watered baptized anyone outside the church? Have I discipled anyone outside? And the answer would be to so many of these questions would be no, 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 no. And God goes, and why do you think on that great judgment seat that I'm going to say welcome in if you never fulfilled any of the things that I had for your life? I'm not here to smash you over the head with a Bible. I'm here to challenge you to go to the next level. I'm here to say that we need a revival in atlanta and it's not gonna be another conference it's gonna be an outpouring a book of acts catastrophic outpouring of holiness and an outpouring of repentance people call me nino i want your nephew to come preach he's okay um go watch him on youtube and call us back. Oh, no, we don't need to watch him. We want him to come in. I'm thinking, go watch a YouTube video, and you probably won't call me back after you watch the video, because you you don't really want, we don't really want revival. We want want the idea of what revival we've read about, and, you know, William Seymour, and Jonathan Edwards, uh, and all these people, and Evan Roberts, right, Eddie, and they all come in, uh, and everybody gets saved, but see, we don't see the part uh, of all the people that got offended, all the people that had conviction, uh, all the people, the hours that were spent in worship, uh, the hours Jonathan than Edwards, Evan Roberts, spent in prayer. They weren't preaching a little Americanized invite Jesus to come be a part of all your other idols gospel. They were preaching a gospel of separation, that to be crucified to Christ is to be crucified from the world. That to be connected to God it means to be disconnected to every other lover. I'm talking about a full surrender, saying, God, I want to abandon everything I know and to answer the call, so they call and say, we want revival, but but is there any way you could, you know, we watch your YouTube videos, and you know, you seem like a, sometimes you're a little bit mean, and you're a little bit hard, can you come, because we want, we want demons cast out, we want our people to wake up, but we want you to do it nicely, and I'm going, I looked through all my alarms on my iPhone, and there was no one titled nice, because the only purpose for an alarm is to be repetitive, loud, and annoying, Why? Because it's all—it doesn't. Alarm isn't trying to be your friend. An alarm isn't trying to get invites into your phone. An alarm isn't trying to be on stage and to perform. And you don't go in your car, plug in your phone and say, What do I want? What song do I want to listen to? Let me just listen to my alarm on my way to work. It does not entertain the ears. Here's what it does: it wakes people up, and that is its only purpose. That is its only, and I believe in this ministry over here that there's some alarm clocks that God is raising up that are gonna blow the trumpet in this generation and say, We refuse to bow down, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the revival, I don't want to miss the move of God, because here's the scary reality if you get anything tonight, God can and will replace you, why'd you call me God, because I called 10 other Isaiah's and they didn't respond, because they were too busy with Bible college, and cemetery, I mean seminary, and too busy with all the religiosity and complacency. I couldn't even use them if I wanted to. You give me your schedule on Sunday morning, and you say I want to move. We go to church. They go, oh, I want to move of God. I'm going. Okay, I flew across the country. I want one too, or else I would have never flown over here. I definitely didn't do it for the paycheck. And they're going, okay, well we have a two and a half minute uh, offering, and then a two and a half point four minute um thing, and then we have a one minute performance, and then we have three fast songs, two slow songs, uh, and then we cut it off right here. And then you know you have twenty one point three minutes to preach and then we're going to give you a lofty six and a half minutes to do the altar call and then we got to make sure you know know, our church is very fickle, we got to make sure we're out by noon, I'm thinking you want to be out by noon and you're starting service at 1130 we have made a church that goes how quick can we get them in and how quick can we get them out and then we wonder why nobody's making disciples, we wonder why nobody is being radical I have an idea, maybe because God is not even in our services is not even in his church and he's out inviting those That were never supposed to be invited. I was never supposed to get invited to the wedding banquet. But God said those that I got invited, they didn't accept the invite. And I'll send the invite to somebody else. If you don't want your invite into destiny, God says, I'll send it to the drug addict. I'll send it to the atheist. Who am I preaching to? I'll send it to the crack addict because you're too busy for God. Look at your schedule. Why isn't God moving? I know why. Because you've made no room for him. I dare you to go to your next job interview and then say, what's your availability? And you say, an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I can't work the rest of the week. Let me ask you if any boss in the country would hire you. No. You know what they say? that. What kind of stupid, ridiculous availability is that? Yet yeah, that's what you give to God asking him to employ you. God, I want you to use me. Okay, what's your availability look like? Well, you know, Sunday at 11, you got till about 11 to 12, and over radical stage till 12, 15, so you got about an hour and 15, and you could use me there where every God's going. How could I use you in a church where everybody else is already believers? See, this is not the harvest. This is not the battlefield. This is where we train up laborers to send them out in the harvest. This is where we equip the laborers, and we are living in an hour because there's no fresh revelation. We are serving recycled manna. See, God told Moses, when the manna comes, don't try to save it for the next week or next day because it will get stale. And they were feeding stale manna to the people. And do you know what the Bible says? It says, and the people begin to get sick because they were eating bread with worms in it. We got a bunch of preachers preaching messages that have worms in them that are whole not part of the whole truth, but are holy in the sense that they are missing certain areas. And there's bugs and demons and witchcraft that is coming out of the pulpit of America and I'm crying out to God up all night saying where are the Jeremiah's of our generation where are the Elijah's of our generation where are the Elishas that say it might not be popular but it's biblical it might not be popular but it's necessary for revival I had a big name guy write me About a year ago. And I, I, I listen to, I'm not going to say his name because you're not supposed to do that when you're preaching, but I listen to his music and I watch. If I name him, you'd all know big name, big name, big name, big name. Preaches in stadiums. You know, he had the nerve. I didn't think he would ever know me. I thought, how would this guy ever know me? How would this guy ever see me? I'm just little Isaiah. I don't have this huge, massive ministry like a lot of these guys. I mean, I'm blessed. I thank God for the influence, but compared to some of these, and all of a sudden he writes me one day, he goes, You know, I've been watching your preaching. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy watches my preaching. I'm excited. I think he's going to compliment me. He goes, I like it. I love your passion. I love your anointing. He goes, But, you know, you could get invited to the events we're doing, and you could get invited to these big arenas and these big stages and this American church circle. He goes, all you got to do is just change the way you talk about hell, change the way you talk about sin. Don't talk so much about the narrow road. Don't tell people they have to lay down everything. Oh, yeah. And that whole demon thing you're always talking about on Facebook Live, and you're always teaching about demonic and deliverance and casting out demons and generational curses. And so, yeah, we don't do all that, so let's make sure all you're telling me is that you're hanging out with a bunch of jab preachers. That is what we have in our generation, a bunch of preachers that only throw jabs and never throw any knockout blows. They preach a gospel and they preach around the truth and they preach this little water-down tell-you-a-couple-jokes. I don't want to hear a couple jokes. I want to know where is my soul going? What does Judgment Day look like for a lukewarm believer? We are telling lukewarm people that they're going to heaven If they join a church, Jesus said, I don't want you to join a church. I want you to be the church. I want to raise up an army that fights a battle. When's the last time I fought anyone besides my pastor? Haven't fought a demon haven't made spiritual warfare, haven't went in prayer, haven't fasted, haven't read the Bible, haven't done anything spiritual and I think because I come or because of an event and Jesus sits outside going I'm longing to find anyone tonight that would be, have ears to hear and would allow me to speak through them and Nino and me didn't even talk, he didn't even know that I was going to talk about Eli a generation that had gotten numb to the voice of God. God looked down in 1 Samuel 3 and saw the state of his church and he opens up by saying this was in hour where there was no revelation, there was no visions or dreams, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Friend, we are living in the hour of Samuel and Eli where the word of the Lord is rare, where the temple has become a place of religious sacraments, but you have not read your New Testament where the veil has been torn that tonight we have access into heavenly places, that you are seated with Christ that you were born again here's the issue, we're not born again that's that's the issue here's a spiritual life that's awesome, praise God, what does that mean? we don't know no one's been born again. And Jesus came to Nicodemus and said, you don't understand. I could invite you. You could come in my heart and I could come in your heart. And we could do all these religious things that were invented 100 years ago. We don't know that because we don't know church history. He goes, but Nicodemus, I got to explain that I brought something with me. And Nick goes, where? By the way, if you didn't know Nick at Night, they got that from this story. That's how they named the network, Nick at Night. Jesus says, I brought something. He goes, where is it? He goes, you can't see it. It's all around you. And Nick goes, what do you mean? He goes, Nick, here's the problem. You haven't been born again. I'm a teacher of religious law. I was raised in this church. My name is on the foundation and the cement. I trim the bushes every other Sunday. I know about God. He goes, no, Nick, you know everything about God. You know all the laws, all the religion. You know when to lift your hands, when to dance, when to shout. I'm talking to some of you over here. You know how to do all of that stuff. And you know how to do all the motions. He goes, but Nick, you don't even see the angels all around us. You don't even see the demons all around us. Nick, you don't even see in the spirit realm. He said the only way to have eyes in the spirit, is you must be born again. Here's the question, where are we being born into? See, we preach you're born again, thank you, that you're born again back into the natural realm, and then you just go to church on Sunday. He goes, no, when you're born again, you don't come back out of your mother because you're trying to understand it tonight intellectually, and I'm trying to give it to you spiritually. He goes, when you're born again, you are born in the spirit dimension. I sat down with Nino, I didn't sleep for three days after I got saved oh god do we need radical conversions again i'm praying for conversions tonight where three days go by where you haven't slept and you get lost in the spirit where you're seeing in the spirit and i sat down with nino eight hours i was talking she can tell you after go to the table true story eight hours he's like are you okay Uh, And after eight hours, I started bawling. I was getting hired as a police officer. I was dating a girl for four years. I was about to marry. I graduated high school at 16. I graduated college at 19. I didn't need God. I wasn't planning on God. I walked in that building, and if I could tell you the truth, and if you're religious, this would be a great place to close your ears and close your family's ears because when I came to that altar, I said, God, I don't effing believe in you, but let me tell you something, that God is not afraid of our sin. He's not afraid of our compromise, That the voice of God said, you might not believe in me, but I still believe in you, and I don't want 99.9%. I didn't sleep for three full days. I sat with Nino for eight hours crying, saying, what happened to me? He goes, what do you mean? I said, I was driving to college. The night after I got saved, I stayed up all night like a tweaker, and I was driving to college, and I pulled over in my little hot rod on the freeway, and I got out, and I looked at the sky, and I began to cry, and I began to weep. Because it was like the first time uh, that I ever saw the sky, uh, it was like the grass was greener uh, and the sky was bluer. Uh, what happened? I was born again. Uh, I was seeing into another dimension, uh, and then I went to school. I was seeing demons over people, uh, I was seeing angels fighting demons on my college campus. Uh, I literally got into my classroom, ran out of my class, uh, and drove home uh, because my eyes were open in the spirit. Uh, Asked Nino, they couldn't take me out in public uh, because I I was prophesying. I was telling them this can happen in five minutes and it would happen. It was a spiritual dimension. See, when you're not born again, you're not able to see in the spirit. And this was the place that Israel was at. They were under a leadership that had begun to lose their vision. The Bible says this about Eli, that he was losing his vision in the temple while the torch was still blazing. See, we think because we're in the light that we're not falling asleep. But there are a lot of us tonight that are sleeping in the light, that are sound asleep, going from service to service. And God came to Samuel, this young prophet that God was raising up, and began to wake up Samuel. And Samuel wakes up out of his bed, runs to Eli. He says, Eli, did you call me? And Eli says, No, go back to sleep. How often? I know it's often because I've seen it. I really believe this. You're not a true revivalist till you get fired from your church for being on fire. Thank you, Leonard Ravenhill, for that one. And that's offensive. Oh, Leonard Ravenhill said it's fine. He's not here anymore. So, you know, we could just say that type of stuff now. Fired. Because you know what? They're afraid of what you have. You know what we're afraid of? That you might shake up our program. That your passion might mess up what we're trying to do in our religious churches. And God forbid you scare away the biggest givers. I was preaching at, I'll just say, a rich church. I preached there once a month for a year. And the pastor came up to me one day. He said, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. I said, Yeah. He said, You know, Isaiah, ever since you've come, we've had revival. I said, Praise God. He said, We've had a move of the Spirit. Praise God. He said, We've seen demons cast out. We never saw that at our church. We've seen miracles happen. We never saw that at our church. We're seeing people now come to the altar and worship. They never did that. We're seeing people get radical. They've never done that. I said, Praise God, pastor. I don't know what we're here talking about then. Praise God. He said, Yeah, but not only is that, it's costing me $150,000 a month like, wow, I'm not getting none of that honorarium. You're sending it to the wrong address because de- you're definitely not paying me that much once a month. He goes, no, I'm not, it's not costing me that because you're coming for revival once a month. He goes, you know why it's costing me that? Because they don't want to go where I want to go. And he said, and I have families in my church on a daily basis meeting with me saying, if you're going to let that lady worship at the altar, if you're going to let that young man pray on the mic, if you're going to let that old lady up there worship, if you're going to let people raise their hand like that, if you're going to let people get on their knees, if you're going to have altar calls more than 10 minutes, we're going to go find another church and we're taking our tithe. He said, Isaiah, in the last month I've lost $150,000 because one old lady that I'm allowing now to worship God, like she was made to worship God. And I said, Pastor, you got to make a decision right now. Would you rather have the move of the Spirit or would you rather have the money? I hear the Samuels rising up that say we hear the voice of God and we want the move of the Spirit over religion. He cried and said I want revival. I want the move of the Holy Spirit. That's my message tonight. Revival at any cost. I don't care if I have to delete the number. I don't care if I have to break my Xbox. I don't Care about to break up with him or break up with her. There's no value to the outpouring of God. There's no value to the Holy Spirit. I want revival and it's not okay to have it tomorrow. We'll have it another day. We'll have it. So we keep doing about revival. Yesterday you said you were going to get right tomorrow. You'll do that math on the way home. And you're sitting here tonight going, I don't understand. Here's my word for you. Listen to God and stop going back to sleep when God wakes you up because every couple, we get radical in and then we go right back to sleep, back in the same movies, back in the same music, back in the same culture. It took three times of the voice of God waking up Samuel before Eli realized it was God's voice. We are so out of tune with the voice of God that it takes time and time again, him speaking to us, for us to even realize he's speaking. I don't want to be an Eli in this hour, I want to be a Samuel that says, I'm waking up and I'm going to respond to the word of the Lord. Here's what I love about Eli's response, he says, next time he wakes you up, say, here I am, I'm listening, and here's what Eli says the next morning, because God is going to visit Samuel, and he's not going to visit Samuel and say, I'm proud of you. I love how the Church of America is going. I love that you guys don't pray. I love that you guys don't read. I love that you guys don't fast. I love that you allow ungodly movies to be played in the house of God. I love that we play Beyonce before service to make people comfortable. I love that we've allowed the spirit of the devil to preach a demonic doctrine of false hyper grace. I love what's being preached. I love the fact that now the greatest ministers and Eddie knows this as well as I do of our generation are out getting hammered after revival, getting drunk at the bar. The five biggest preachers of our generation think it's okay to take shots after service. It's okay to get hammered. And we think God's message to the church is this. God loves you, keep living like the devil, everything's fine. He goes, but Samuel, that's not the message. He goes, here's my message to the church. My message is that I'm going to begin to carry out all the threats that I've been making. I've been making threats saying, if you don't get your act together, I'm not going to pour out my spirit. If you don't get your act together, I'm done with America. He goes, I'm getting ready to make good on my threat. See, right now we are living in the hour where all God has done is threatened us. And I believe that the future of America is in the hands of the intercessors that say, God, don't judge America. Send revival. It's the prophetic voice that prepares the move of the spirit. It's the prophetic voice that wakes up the church. God wants to turn your lips into a trumpet. I'm almost done. Give me two Pentecostal minutes. I'm done. I know 942. I see. I see. I see. Watch this. He says, Samuel, I'm gonna carry out the threats. I'm done. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm done playing games with your compromise. I've allowed you, even Jezebel had a window to repent. Do you know the scary thing about the grace of God? It will let you live in sin and still bless you. It will let you sleep around, and you'll still pray for the sick, and they'll get healed, and you'll end up like Samson saying, well, I did it last time, and the presence didn't leave me. Maybe I could do it again. Last time I watched it, the presence of God didn't leave me, so maybe I could watch it again. Here's the scary thing about grace. You never know when it's going to run out. And you might be one sin away from losing the grace of God tonight. You might be one sin away from your last sin. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Where was the grace of God then? Where was the mercy of God then? God said, I'm not going to allow compromise in this move of the Holy Spirit. And if I have to kill whatever is causing the compromise, then I'm willing to kill what I have to kill. I'm talking about a day where God begins to strike dead preachers that are preaching a false gospel and sending them. Y'all didn't hear that. I said, When God strikes them dead, and they begin to have heart attacks behind the pulpit because they're not preaching the truth. God says, I'm gonna carry out my threats. Games are over. And the next morning, here's what happens Eli wakes up and says, What did the Lord tell you? What is he looking for? An encouraging message. Saying it's okay that your kids, Hofna and Phineas, it's okay they're compromising in the temple. It's okay they're idol worshiping in the temple. It's okay that pastors, when are you gonna look at your spiritual sons and begin to actually hold them accountable? I'm not talking about this accountability where you do whatever you want and then once a year you call your spiritual father to check in. I'm saying when are we gonna get so accountable that we say my kids are acting wrong in the house of God? And I'm done allowing worship leaders on stage that have their hands on the keyboard and then have their hands where they shouldn't be. I'm I'm done letting people at the altar lay hands on the sick then lay hands on their girlfriend after service. We need a revival of holiness. We need a revival of the fear of the Lord. Watch what happens. If I can get the worship team up, I'm about to close. Part two Saturday, praise God. Watch this. He says, this is what Eli says. Here's my close. He says, Samuel, tell me what the Lord said. Oh, I wish we had preachers and pastors that would respond like this. And don't hold anything back. He goes, Samuel. I'm tired of getting half-truths from all these lying prophets. Do you know the Bible says that God filled the mouth and let the prophets lie because the people were so backslidden and they got up and they preached the Bible. Watch this. They preached the right thing at the wrong time. They were preaching peace at a time of war. And the true sign of a false prophet is not someone preaching anti-Scripture. It's someone preaching Scripture in the wrong hour. This is not the hour where you need. A Tickle Me, almo Jesus Loves You. Daisy Rainbow Banner Christianity. This is the hour we declare war on the forces of darkness. And we say there's coming a day where the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God. I'm done with the compromise. Don't hold anything back. I want to hear the Samuels prophesy. I want to hear the Samuels preach the word. I'm tired of holding back. (laughs) Tired of preachers holding back, telling me. Because here's the bottom line reality. You will stand on that day of judgment. And if God says this on judgment day, what was your name again? Imagine that. You're at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm Isaiah Saldivar. And God goes, okay. First of all, he doesn't even know me. How does he not know my name? And he's looking going, I don't see I don't see an Isaiah anywhere in here. And I'm thinking, I prophesied hundred thousand Facebook live views every time I got on and traveled with Eddie James and traveled, and I was with Billy Humphrey, I was all these pastors, I was with all these preachers, Reinhard Bonke I wasn't even saved a year I was preaching with Reinhard Bonk. I don't understand God, how can you not know me and God says yes you prophesied, you did miracles, you did signs and wonders yet I didn't have a relationship with you I tried waking you up but you decided to keep going back to sleep it was easier to be sound asleep in the greatest hour of human history than to wake up and and say, wait a minute, my window of grace might be running out, my window of opportunity might be shutting. See, we think because the presence of God hasn't left us, and the anointing hasn't left us, that God is validating our lifestyle. It is quite the contrary. God is hoping that his mercy and that his grace would bring you back to your first love. There are many of us here tonight that have left our first love, that have left our passion, that have left our desire and the Lord is saying this is not the night for you to look around and to do what you do every altar call and let somebody else respond, let somebody else come forward, maybe you should get to a place where you say my kids need to see me at the altar, my kids need to see me broken, if I'm not broken, I'm sleeping. I was at an altar call last night at 10 p.m., my own altar call. It was on my face, crying, saying, God, I'm getting casual. I'm getting comfortable. Not in your sense. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm living holy. I'm not contentional. No sin in my life. But I'm starting just to get used to miracles, seeing people come in and used to casting out demons. And I'm not treating your presence the way I used to treat it. I'm getting to a place where I'm losing that first love fire. And I was on my face saying, God, I'm not going another 10 seconds without a touch from your fire. I don't care if I have to miss my flight to Georgia. I love Bishop Collier, but he could preach the house down just as good as me. They'll be fine without me. And I was at the altar crying, crying. And you know what I got? I got a fresh touch from God. You wanna know why? Because I didn't come up empty handed, I came with a sacrifice. If you're gonna sit back and give God a leftover altar, a leftover worship, a leftover response, if you're gonna to come to the altar like this, praise you, God. All right, are you done yet, God? All right, you got five minutes. How is it you give the drive thru of your favorite fast food longer than the altar? You'll wait 30 minutes in line to get your favorite burger, and after 10 minutes of the altar, you get up and you got to go home. Friend, what is more important tonight than being at this altar saying, God, I need you to wake me up because we are losing. If you didn't know, I'll give you the spoiler. Israel would go on two chapters later to lose the ark of God. We are in an hour. We are losing the presence of God. We are losing the ark of God, and tonight the Lord is saying it's time they come to the altar." and to get back his presence. It's time they come to the altar and to get back the ark. If you're in your chair and you say, God, I need you like never before. I need the ark back in my life. I need the presence back in my life. I need awakening. Come out of your chair right now. Don't do it casually. Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't wait for your cousin, your Aunt Terry, your Uncle Sam. Get out of your chair. Get off of your tail and come to this altar and say, God, we need it touch tonight. We need your fire tonight. We need your anointing tonight. We need your Holy Spirit tonight. We need a fresh conviction. We need a fresh manifest presence. God, awaken us to holiness. Awaken us to prayer. Awaken us to fasting. Awaken us to desperation. Awaken us to desire. Some of the altar team and pastors are going to help me, but we're just going to lay hands, and we're going to pray for a move of the spirit we're gonna pray that God would visit his people tonight that you would not leave this place with the same apathy you wouldn't leave this place with the same complacency you wouldn't leave this place with the same compromise God make us feel bad about our sin tonight come on let's cry out tonight God make us a house of prayer make me a house of prayer get these devils out of my life I'm tired of being a den of thieves I'm tired of being a cappuccino church I need you to manifest tonight and to break off my addictions Netflix, Hulu, Instagram, Facebook what is it that's stealing your affection, attention and desperation God whatever it is search us we need a revival in the Bible Belt. Churches on every corner, yet brokenness, depression, anxiety, divorce, drug addiction, God. God, make us a place where you're present and your anointing can dwell, God. Make us that house of prayer. You're coming back for one bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. And God, you're jealous. You said in John 17, I wanted people that are one, God. Make me a house. Let this be your prayer tonight. Make me a house. He's not going to share you with lust. If you want him to move out, you're going to have to tell the devil to move out. If you want God to move in, you're going to have to tell the devil to move out. I'm not accepting half hearted. Go and pray tonight. Let's ask him for an help, Corey. Here's where revival starts in repentance. No revival in history ever happened without repentance. God help us tonight from being casual, me Help us to be professional. Professional worship leaders, professional preachers, God help me tonight. Make me a house of prayer. If there's sickness in your body, there's miracles happening right tonight. Demons are being cast out tonight in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask some of the altar teams that have been released just to help me. I'm going to ask for the fire of God.